mothers, too many fathers, too many sons and daughters who have lost a loved one unnecessarily. Over 2,000 people just in New York City died of an overdose in 2020. That's why we launched yesterday the nation's first overdose prevention centers. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome into The Debrief. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein. It's a first here in the United States. A major city has officially sanctioned supervised drug injection sites. It's happening right here in New York City right now. And proponents say these safe havens will save lives. But of course, this news has been met with many questions and plenty of controversy. And today on The Debrief, we're going to chat with a man with plenty of expertise. He's the co-founder of North America's first fully legally sanctioned injection site in Canada. Mark Townsend joins us right now. Mark, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Uh, and not only did you have that experience, but you worked for some time in New York City at one of the nonprofits that's getting city funding right now for this supervised drug injection site, and that is the Washington Heights Corner Project. Tell us what happens at a site like that. Well, I had an interim role with Washington Heights and New York Harm Reduction Educators. So those are the two places in New York where these city sanctioned sites are opening. Uh, prior to that, we were really supervising the use of drugs in a bathroom. So that meant we would allow those that suffered from d difficult to deal with addictions, the, the ability to use a bathroom. And in that bathroom, they could use intravenous drugs or smoke drugs. And we would check on them every three minutes. And if they started to die, literally, we would intervene and save their lives. And prior to this city sanction site opening, we saw about 28,000 uses and nobody died. And that's important because in my life, in the work I've done, you know, I've met with mothers and fathers on International Overdose Awareness Day. I, I met with a beautiful mother whose son had been not using drugs for many years. And he went out and used and he used in a McDonald's bathroom and he died in that bathroom. And on Overdose Awareness Day, we took that McDonald's and naloxone, which is a drug that can save people's life when they're overdosing, when they're stopping breathing. And they actually refused to take it. But it was upsetting because she'd never actually been to that bathroom. It was really I've experienced too many of those things. So I know the way we are doing these things don't work. And I've dealt with too many mothers, too many fathers, too many sons and daughters who have lost a loved one unnecessarily because of the crazy way that we've decided to deal with people who use drugs in America and really every country across the world. So, for instance, the sites you mentioned where whether you can smoke or inject drugs safely inside a bathroom or another space, the space with experts around you, if there is an issue, how would that life-saving process work if somebody has a problem? How are they actually getting assistance that you say they need? Well, when somebody overdoses, so if we go to the North America's first fully legally sanctioned one that we opened, it's called Insight. There what happens is people are sitting at a booth, they bring in the drugs that they procured on the street. They have their own booth and clean equipment, which is also important in these situations because we want that helps reduce the spread of HIV and AIDS. And we have a nurse 
there that's observing people. So if something goes wrong, then we can intervene. We often intervene with oxygen, or there is a drug that's very, very effective and has been around for about you know, 20, 30 years, that if you inject it to people or you spray it up their nose, it basically reverses the opioid overdose, and it's very effective and it saves many lives. So the site that I founded, uh, Insight in Canada, that's seen four million injections. So that's four million injections off the streets, out of the parks, you know, out of doorways, out of stairways of housing projects, and nobody has died. So everyone gets to live for another day, uh, to be with their mom or their dad or their loved ones. And if they want to recover, it gives them a chance to recover. Um, you know, dead people do not detox. There is no chance and they are gone forever. And the words that they want to say and the words that other people want to say to them, the people who love and care about them, will never be to say those words. They can't be brought back. So we need to be honest. People need to accept that some of us are going to struggle. Some people are going to struggle. And we don't really want to have a death sentence for that struggle. The city is doing this in spite of the fact that federal law bans operating a space for narcotics use. And then there's the stigma attached to drug addiction and this kind of drug use. Do, in your experience, do, does that keep people from taking advantage of sites like this who may need it, but still are worried and don't trust necessarily that they can go inside a city-sanctioned space and use drugs publicly? Well, obviously, you're 100% right. Stigma is a really big deal on these things. Ultimately, there needs to be a better solution to this. And, and stigma and the racist element of this you know, war on drugs, which is really a war on humans and, and a war on communities and a war on people, has created such a difficult situation that we've dug ourselves into this silly hole. Rather than say to people, hey, look, you know, I understand you using drugs. Because you could just say that and just be honest with me. Uh, we ran a, a very experimental detox um, once because a lot of people do die in detox and a lot of people die when they come out of detox. So what we said to the people in our detox is be honest. Let's be honest. And let's not, if you're going to use drugs when you're in here, you tell us. That honesty meant that one, people didn't die in our facility and they didn't die when they left our facility and they learn a different way of dealing with it to be able to say, hey, look, I'm struggling and I don't want to use drugs, but I think I might. And that's the time when many people die. But creating all this, whatever, and, and it happens to everyone. You know, I've tried to lose that last 10 pounds for all of my life and I haven't succeeded, which is sort of seems like a trite thing. But if I can't do that, then you've got to be realistic that, you know, once you're having a problematic relationship with drugs, it's complicated. And why would you let that person die? And especially if they love them. And, and when people listen to this, they think, oh, well, it doesn't happen to them. Well, I've done this for a long time. And it's, it's happened to, you know, governors, chief of staffs. It's happened to all kinds of people. We've already seen pushback from people in the community where a drug injection site is now authorized by the city. And they say, you're advertising people to use drugs. It gives the wrong impression. What do you say to that? Well, in terms of the one, the first one in North America that we did, four million people have used that. But if you look at the demographics, who, who is using that, it's just the people that live there. So no one came from Seattle. No one has come from another jurisdiction. That isn't actually how it works. So 
I understand that concern, and it's not that it's not logical, but around the world, this isn't a new thing. This is really an out-of-date in this is an out-of-date intervention. You know, it's been going for 30, 40 years. And uh, there's a lot of data and numbers on it, and it does not do that. And that's pretty much a fact. You see, you don't have first-time users coming to a site like this. You sometimes do, but it's pretty rare. So in, in the, the first North American one, we did, but that was pretty rare. Probably I could count that on my hand. But when first-time users would come, we would try to, they, they'd be taken aside and nurse would speak to them. But if they were going to use, we would rather they used in the site rather than out of the site. If they're going to use for the first time, I would rather they didn't die and that they had some support and that some connection because too many people have died and it really needs to stop. It's so unnecessary. Mark, thank you so much for chatting with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And now let's welcome in New York City's Health Commissioner, Dr. David Chakshi, who you've seen, of course, leading us through this pandemic for many months now. Dr. Chakshi, thanks so much for your time. I wanna start with why you think the city-sanctioned overdose prevention centers are helpful when it comes to public health. Well, let me just start with the bottom line, which is that we know overdose prevention centers save lives, they get people connected to care, and they also improve uh, the conditions in uh, the neighborhoods that they're a part of. We also feel a real sense of urgency about addressing the overdose crisis. 2020 was the deadliest year on record, both in New York City and nationally, when it comes to overdoses. Uh, very sadly, over 2,000 people just in New York City died of an overdose in 2020. Uh, that means that every four hours, uh, someone is dying from an overdose. These are not faceless numbers. These are our brothers and sisters. They're our sons and daughters, our neighbors and friends. Um, and their lives were cut short. Uh, overdose prevention centers can help uh, to address what is a public health crisis. What do you say, Dr. Chakshi, to people who worry that uh, authorized by the city injection site gives the misconception that drug use is safe. I do understand these concerns, but what I would say uh, is a couple of things. The first is that this is a science-based strategy. Uh, we have over 30 years of research on overdose prevention centers uh, from 60 cities around the world. There are over 100 OPCs operating across the globe. And what it shows us is what I mentioned. Number one, they save lives. Number two, they prevent HIV and hepatitis. Uh, and number three, they help to improve conditions like public drug use or syringe litter um, that often come up as neighborhood concerns. So that's the first thing that I would say. Um, and then the second thing is uh, to know that we use this term overdose prevention centers very deliberately because it's not just about providing a safe, clean, hygienic space for people who are using drugs, but it's also about getting them connected to the care and the treatment that they need so that they can take those first steps into entering recovery. I know it's been only a few days and you only have a couple of these sites open at the moment. Do you have any early evidence that it's working the way that you intended it to work? Yes, you know, I visited the sites um, in their first days of operations, and 
Uh, and it's really remarkable uh, to see them in action, not just in terms of the services that they're providing, but the way that they do it, which is dignified. It's non-judgmental. Um, it is uh, about the health and the safety of the people whom they're serving. We know just in the, in, in the initial days of operation um, that uh, several uh, overdoses have been reversed. Uh, and that means that as of this week, overdose prevention centers are already saving lives in New York City. I'm really proud and I'm grateful to Mayor de Blasio for his leadership and commitment on this, uh, because it means that New York City is leading the nation at a time when we do need bold additional steps to address the overdose crisis that I mentioned. What would you say about, there's been some um, feedback from people in those specific neighborhoods, only a couple of centers at the moment. Uh, and, and they say, yeah, I support the idea, but why only here in East Harlem and Washington Heights and not more broadly in the city? It feels like those neighborhoods uh, are alone a little bit at the moment. Well, that's a reasonable question and I'm happy to answer it. Um, the reason is that we're always looking at the intersection where there is need uh, in terms of addressing the overdose crisis with experienced professional providers, because it's important to understand overdose prevention centers are additional services at existing sites. These are existing providers that have roots in the neighborhoods that they're a part of that have already been serving those neighborhoods and now this evidence-based approach is being added on to the suite of services that they've already been offering. So we look for that intersection of need with the experienced providers who can move this forward. But don't get me wrong, we do want to expand beyond those two sites. We'll do so methodically and carefully and always engaging the community. But the overdose crisis is a citywide problem. And so OPCs can be a citywide solution. You've mentioned this life-saving public benefit and then you, the, the hopes to expand it, and that would mean even more benefit. Um, is there a trade-off at all? Some of the neighborhoods have said that there's a public nuisance when you have a site like this on a block. and to, It could be an issue with businesses and, and, and litter. Is there any trade-off here that you are willing to concede? Um, we're working very uh, carefully with the community, you know, with um, businesses and community organizations in the area. Uh, but in the experience of uh, the hundred overdose prevention centers around the world, um, what they have found is that uh, syringe litter decreases where OPCs are located. Uh, public drug use also declines because there is a place to go for, for people who are using drugs. And the effects on crime are neutral to, in some cases, improved. But don't get me wrong, we are not uh, claiming that this is a silver bullet for the overdose crisis, but it is a key component of a broader harm reduction approach. And that benefits not just uh, the people who are directly served, but also uh, all of our communities. And since you are the city's health commissioner, and of course, you're always uh, at the center of ways to make everybody healthier, safer. In an ideal world, you would still, of course, want people to not use illegal narcotics that could harm them. Are there other ways that you think uh, you want to throw out there that, that you think the city or the country could do a better job of trying to curtail that? Well, look, at the end of the day, my job as the city's doctor is to save lives and to prevent as much suffering as I possibly can. 
and overdose prevention centers, you know, really flow from that mission. Uh, but you're right to point out that the overdose crisis requires, you know, a multifaceted approach. Some are the things that we have already done in recent years, particularly expanding treatment options like buprenorphine, uh, which is a medication that is often very helpful for, for people who suffer from addiction. Um, in other cases, we've supported uh, syringe exchange programs like the ones where uh, OPCs become additional services. Um, and importantly, we're trying to lower the barriers for accessing all of these services. We're going to have to do all of that, but we will need to do more. And I'm particularly concerned about fentanyl in the drug supply because we know that fentanyl makes overdoses even more lethal. Uh, it's something that we've seen, um, you know, in overdoses in recent years. And so we're going to have to come up with um, additional ways to respond to uh, that threat as well. So um, we're going to bring to bear all of these different interventions. It's really important to do so in this approach, which is known as harm reduction, meet people where they are, uh, get them engaged, bring them in so that we can take the steps that they need to uh, to get into treatment and recovery. As a doctor who's taken care of many patients who suffer from addiction or substance use disorders, um, I can tell you that doing so with dignity, doing so in a way that is non-judgmental, means that more people will actually access those services, and that's the key to addressing these problems. Dr. Choksi, thank you so much for your insight on such an important topic that affects so many people. We really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And thanks to everybody out there for tuning into The Debrief. Thanks to our production team, Ben Berkowitz, Darren Price, and Melissa Mack. I'm Adam Cooperstein. We'll see you right back here next week on The Debrief.